electronic Bibles, your regular Bibles, if you want to steal your neighbor's Bible. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 this morning. Mark chapter 1. So when last I spoke to you guys, we talked about what happens when Jesus goes to church, right? We spoke about his power, his authority, and how demons flee when he comes onto the scene, right? So today we're going to be continuing on in that same series in the New Testament Gospel of Mark, and we're going to talk about the touch of Jesus. Everybody say, the touch of Jesus. Thank you, thank you. So when we talk about Jesus touching people, is that kind of hard to relate for some of you? Like, is that kind of hard to relate to because Jesus isn't physically present with us? You see, even though Jesus rose from the grave, right, according to the Bible, his physical presence is in the heaven, is in heaven at the Father's right hand as our advocate. So how can people experience the touch of Jesus today if he's not physically present? How can people experience the touch of Jesus today if he's not actually physically present right here next to me? One way, or really the primary way, is through Jesus' church, the church, me and you, right? You see, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ, and that means that although Jesus' physical body is in heaven, we as the church can fill that void created by his physical absence. We can fill that void created by his absence, by being the hands and feet of Jesus. You guys got to get excited about this. This is our calling as the church, right? This is awesome that we get to partner with God's message and be in such an awesome place that just respects that and goes after that with all that we have, right? So one way that Jesus touches people is through his community, his gathered people who seek to love and follow Jesus. So although his touch is definitely not limited to the church, I believe that the gathered Christian community is the primary way that people experience the touch of Jesus in their lives today. So as we apply this section of Mark to our lives individually, as individuals, I'm challenging us all, myself included, as the larger church body of Risen King to apply it to ourselves as a community, that we can embody this touch of Jesus, embody what it means to be followers of Jesus, not just people who show up at church on Wednesday and Sunday and then go back to our regular lives, right? We want to live this out. We want to be authentic with it. It's in our life together as a church community that we embody the touch of Jesus for other people. Now let's look at the three kinds of Jesus' touches. And if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Mark 1, 29. So the first touch that we're going to be starting with is Jesus' healing touch. This is one of about three dozen different healings that Jesus performs that are recorded for us in the New Testament. So picking up in verse 29 here. It says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, there were a lot of self-proclaimed healers in the ancient world. And most of them were similar to the faith healers that we see on TV. Have you ever seen those guys? 
It's like, okay, for a small donation of your entire life savings, you can get this little bottle of water that will heal every ailment that you have, (laughs) right? These guys were people who put on a show and tried to line their pockets at the expense of desperate and hurting people. These ancient faith healers were quick to call attention to their exploits, right? They wanted to make sure that everyone knew of their supposed healings, right? They were doing it all for themselves that they would get some glory, that they would be recognized as, oh, that's a big healer over there, right? The, they wanted everyone to see and know just how great they were. But we see a big contrast with this first healing in Mark's story. It doesn't fit that pattern of the ancient healers. This healing comes in private. It's witnessed by just a small handful of people. Jesus was only interested in pointing back to the glory of his father and in making his own name great during his time, and not in making his own name great during his time here on earth. The setting of this healing in Jesus's vi- is Jesus' visit to the home of Simon and Andrew. Archaeologists have actually uncovered ruins of a home in this ancient city of Capernaum where this was taking place that they believe to be the home spoken of here. They believe it to be Peter's home because it had graffiti and drawings on the wall with Christian symbolism during ba- dating back to the time of Jesus. And, you know, they found one, one room that was spray painted. It was like, Jesus was here with a Z. No, I'm just kidding about that last part, but the first part is actually true. <laughs> so Simon's mother-in-law is home, sick in bed with a fever, right? Now, technically, a fever isn't an illness. It's a symptom. But I mean, my men in here, where, where are my guys at? Where are my dudes? All right. Have you, well, I should ask this to the ladies, actually. Have you ever heard of something called man flu? The man flu, it's when a guy gets, like, maybe, like, a one temperature above what you're usually supposed to have, and we're just out for, like, a week. Because, like, women can deal with sickness. They're, they got it. Like, guys, I, I know I can speak for myself. I, I'm kind of a baby when it comes to the flu, right? Can I, I, know, I know you see me, bro. I know. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right, so it's, it's not an illness, but it's a symptom. But for whatever reason, maybe she had the flu, she was sick, but she couldn't even get up out of bed. She was literally out. She was out. So Jesus heals her, but he heals her without saying a word. Did you guys catch that? He's, it says that he took her hand and helped her up, and she was healed. He didn't even have to say, okay, you're healed. He literally just took her hand, and she was good. Most self-proclaimed faith healers in the ancient world would use, you know, incarnations or, like, elaborate rituals or special potions even to try and heal people. All of these, thing, all of these things would just make a huge scene and draw a lot of attention to them. But what Jesus does is so radically different. He simply takes her hand. He helps her up. And as he does, the fever breaks. Only Jesus Only Jesus can do something like that. Jesus doesn't say a word. His touch is all that she needs. His healing touch is all that she needs. When his hands are on her, she receives his healing. And this woman's immediate response to the touch of Jesus is to begin waiting on them. In verse 31, the word for wait on means to serve. And it's the same word that Jesus will use later in Mark chapter 10 when he says that he didn't come to the earth to be served, but to serve. When Jesus touches a person to heal them, the natural response is to serve God's people, to use the opportunity of being restored to health as an opportunity to serve, to show everyone, look at what my Jesus did for me. I promise that he can do the same for you, right? Now, this miracle isn't very spectacular, right, by by the world standards. 
It wasn't a huge show. It's in the privacy of a home witnessed only by Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and, of course, Simon's mother-in-law, who was healed. Yet by that evening, the entire community comes and gathers at the doorway to Simon's home for healing and prayer. Can you guys imagine that scene with me really quick? With people having every kind of sickness, limping, walking, being dragged or carried to this miracle worker named Jesus. Amputees who lost limbs in battle. Epileptics. People with defects and abnormalities. People feverish with deadly viruses. Right? There's nothing quite so humiliating as being sick. Right, I spoke about it before, the man flu, right? You get all nasty, you got snot dripping out, you got bags full of Kleenexes, <laughs> you got nasty Dayquil that you're taking, it's the worst tasting thing in the world, right? When you're really sick, you can't control your bodily functions. You smell bad, people poke you and prod you trying to figure out what's wrong with you. But picture this scene with me as all of these people come, sick, diseased, and they gather in front of the house for help. What a sight that must have been. The town also brought demon-possessed people who were oppressed by demonic spirits, right? Jesus heals many of the sick and diseased people, restoring them to physical health. When he drives out demons, Jesus silences the evil spirits so that they don't announce who he is. Most likely, his reason for this is because he doesn't want the truth about who he is announced by a demonic spirit. And I kind of touched on this last week that... You know, that later on the Pharisees will kind of call Jesus out and say, oh, how is it that he's driving out demons? It has to be by the power of demons, right? Jesus nips that right in the bud. He wants no relation of his pure and holy name with these demons, right? So here in this section, we find Jesus' healing touch. By touching others to heal them, Jesus shows his authority over sickness, over demons. And that's still true today. Right? What we spoke about last time was that these miracles don't die in the Bible. Right? They're still so real today. There's, the power and the authority is still so real today for us. Jesus' healing miracles are another sign that God's kingdom has invaded human history. So the miracles point to something else, to God's intervention in human history in a special way. The rule and reign of God has broken through our rule and reign on earth. The rule and reign of God has broken through our rule and reign on earth. Now, Jesus didn't heal every sick person that he came in contact with. And even those that he did heal eventually got sick again, and and they eventually passed. So Jesus' healings here are partial. They're just a foreshadowing of our future life in God's kingdom. This is just a taste of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven, guys. Physical healing merely points us forward to our eventual resurrection and enjoyment of entirety in God's presence, of eternity in God's presence, of being whole in God's presence. And Jesus' healing touch, touch still comes to people, and it often comes through his church, right? We're the hands and feet of Jesus meeting people where they are. As we gather and worship together, as we pray for each other and follow Jesus together, the healing touch of Jesus comes to people around us, right? But why does the healing touch of Jesus come to some people and not others? Have you ever been asked that question or have you ever asked that question yourself? Why isn't everyone healed? And the truth is, I don't know. It's, It's really a mystery. It's a mystery that we can't explain and we shouldn't try to explain. I certainly don't think that it's because we don't have enough faith or that there's, you know, hidden sin in a sick person's life. I think that's kind of cruel to blame a sick person for their own lack of healing. But we need to constantly remember that physical healing in this life 
is only a foreshadow of the real thing. When healing does come, we should rejoice and thank God. Thank you, God, that you healed this person. But when it doesn't come, we shouldn't beat ourselves up or try and figure out just the right formula of how to work God's miracles, right? Because it's not up to us. Ultimately, it's up to God and his plan. We simply keep walking. We keep following Jesus. Full and final healing will come at the resurrection. And until then, the healing touch of Jesus is a bit mysterious. Right, so we move on to the second touch the Father's touch. If we can go jump down to verse 35. Verse 35 says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Let me read that again. Let us go somewhere else else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Although the word touch isn't actually used here, I think this section is speaking about Jesus's need for his father's touch. Jesus's need for his father's touch. After a busy day of healing, right, Jesus gets up before anyone else in the house. He slips out while it's still dark to find a lonely, solitary place where he can be alone in his thoughts. A place where he can be alone and seek his father without distractions, right? Everyone, everyone kind of needs that, that time, right? That time to just be alone with God the Father. Once he finds that place, he prays, lifting up his heart to the Father, seeking direction and guidance from God. Come on, if Jesus is doing that, how much more do we need to do that in our lives? Simon and the other disciples interrupt Jesus' time of solitude. They say, everyone is looking for you. The whole town is now speaking of the praises of Jesus, celebrating this hometown hero who can suddenly heal and teach with authority. This Greek word translated look here is actually used throughout Mark's story in a negative way. This word is literally to seek. And in Mark's story, it usually implies an attempt to dominate and control Jesus. Right? So people who are seeking Jesus out are actually looking to thwart the, the plan that Jesus is on. He's trying to distract him from his mission. In other words, people who look for Jesus in this sense are people who have an agenda and they want to manipulate Jesus into fulfilling their own agenda. So Jesus says, let's go to other towns. You see, Jesus isn't a faith healer. He's not like the guys that we were talking about before. His primary mission is to proclaim the good news of God's rule and reign. He heals because he sees needs, and he heals as a sign of the coming kingdom of God to point to God's rule. But that's not the primary reason why he came. His primary mission isn't to heal or to impress people or to say, oh, look how great I am. It's not to have healing campaigns or tent revival services. His primary mission is to preach and announce the good news of God's rule and reign. That is why I have come, he says, to preach the coming of the kingdom of God. I believe that decision of Jesus to, have, to leave Capernaum, to travel to the other villages in Galilee, is directly related to his time of prayer and solitude. It's only because of that time seeking the Father's touch that Jesus knows it's time to move on. It's time to go to other places. He can see the hidden agendas that people have beneath the popularity, behind the fame, he, and the attempts to distract him from his main mission. So here we find the Father's touch, not exactly a touch from Jesus, but a touch to Jesus from the Father. By seeking the Father in solitude, Jesus shows us his need 
for the Father's touch. In solitude and prayer, Jesus experienced a centering, a refocusing of his life, a realigning with God's mission. Of all the good things he could do, his time and solitude and in prayer provided him with the knowledge of the best thing to do. Because, you know, sometimes you got to say no to a couple good things to keep on track with the best thing. You know what I mean? you got to say no to a couple things that might sound like a good idea, might sound not necessarily a bad thing. They're good ways to spend your time. But you have to know what is the best thing that God has called you to do so you can stay in line with that. Amen? Awesome. So all I can say is that if Jesus needed this and he was the son of God, how much more do we need the Father's touch in our own lives? We need this as individuals so we can be centered and focused in our own decision making. We need the Father's touch in solitary prayer so we can know who we are, our identity in Christ, what we were made to do, and what the next step in accomplishing what God wants us to do is. This knowledge only comes when we seek the Father's touch in times of quiet solitude. For me, it looks different for everyone. For me, I like to just be at home by myself playing guitar, just zoning out, and just that's where I feel most connected with God. I know for my dad, he's a big gardener. He likes to just be alone in his garden. He likes to grow basil, tomatoes for the sauce. You know, we're Italian, so everything centers around food all the time. <laughs> so, so, but whatever it is for you guys, whatever it is, journaling, you know, going for a run, going for a walk, hanging out with your pets, your kids, your family, whatever it is, just use that time to, you know, just connect with God and realign your focus with what God has for you to do. However you seek it, you need the Father's touch in your personal life, just like Jesus did. But even further, how do we apply this to us as a church community, as a congregation? We need the Father's touch, too. Of all the good things we can do, we need the Father's touch to show us the best thing to do as a church. That's why I'm so thankful for leaders like Pastor Tom. Because he is literally so, like, he's always trying to be in line with what God wants to do. He's always spending time in, in God's presence and just figuring out what is our mission as a church. Not trying to go off of, okay, like this big church did this. They were successful at it. How can we replicate that? Or this church did this successfully. How can we have an outreach like that? No. It's what has God called Risen King Church to do? This local body. How can we reach the people here because it's different everywhere. It's not going to be the same if something works in Wayne or Riverdale. This community is unique and special, and we need to know exactly how God wants us as a church to reach these people. So if Jesus needed the Father's touch, so do we, both as individuals and as a church community. Amen? So the final touch that we're going to get into is Jesus' cleansing touch. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 40, 45. I'll jump down to verse 40 here. It says this, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing. But he st and he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, a stern warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, 
This guy does the complete opposite. He went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news, telling everyone what Jesus did for him. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. See, we need to understand the scandal that's associated with this event. Right? The Greek word for leprosy actually refers to 72 different skin afflictions, not just Hansen's disease, which is what we usually think of as leprosy. A person afflicted with one of these skin diseases was not only physically sick, but in this society they were excluded from all social life in the community. They lost their entire lives because of this, of this disease. They weren't allowed anywhere within, within at least 50 feet They had to stay away from any other person. They couldn't be within 50 feet of another person. Imagine that. They had to stay out of the cities and the villages. They weren't permitted to attend worship at the synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem. They lived in constant quarantine away from their families and friends. Imagine that. You have your family, right? And you, you come in contact with someone with leprosy. You, you can't spend any more time with them. There's no holidays. You can't go to church anymore. You can't go to work anymore. You're literally an outcast. Like, no one wants anything to do with you. You're living on the fringes of society as a social outcast. It was a horrible life, a life of exclusion and humiliation, a life of stigma and shame. If you touched a leper, you became ceremonially unclean. And you also had to stay out of town until you went through a purification ritual. So even if you don't have it, if you just touch a guy, you're ceremonially unclean, and you have to go through this whole process with a priest to try and cleanse yourself. So for this guy to approach Jesus, to say the least, was scandalous. If you saw a leper approaching you, your natural reaction would be to run. Like, I want zero to do with this guy. I want to keep my life. I want to keep my comfortability. I want to stay within my own bubble and not be associated with this unclean person. So you wouldn't catch whatever they had, and so you didn't have to stay out of the town as well. Yet this man presents himself to Jesus and requests cleansing. He requests healing. Notice that he asks for cleansing and not just healing because this guy isn't just sick. Society views this man as defiled, filthy, and tarnished. He not only needs healing, he needs restoration to the community. Also notice that he has no doubts about whether if Jesus can make him clean. It's just a matter of whether he wants to. Right, just look at what he says. He says, if Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's not if you can. He says, Jesus, if you are willing, I know that you can do this. Jesus responds with compassion. Instead of feeling repulsed, Jesus feels affection and concern for this man. Instead of recoiling back, he reaches out and touches him. Imagine, like, all the rules that everyone, like, that the society had, this community has about people with leprosy. He totally flies in the face of that. He totally just reaches out and shows love and compassion to this person that everyone else hates and wants nothing to do with. And yet he touches this man. Instead of the contact defiling Jesus, it cleanses the leper. Instead of Jesus, when he touches the leper, instead of Jesus himself being inflicted with this disease, the leper is cleansed. And Jesus sternly tells the man to keep his experience quiet and to go to the temple in Jerusalem to get a clean bill of health. You see, to re-enter the society, a leper had to be assessed by a Jewish priest. And although a priest could declare someone to be clean, only Jesus could make a person clean. Yeah, the priest had the ceremony to do to declare someone clean by society standards, but literally only Jesus 
could make a person clean with his cleansing touch. The man is disobedient to Jesus' request and instead spreads the news of his cleansing to whoever will listen to him. In fact, the Greek word for spreading the news in verse 45 is the same word for preaching. This guy preached to whoever would listen to him, so much so that Jesus couldn't even enter a town freely anymore. And notice how the tables have turned through this story. Before this miracle, it was the leper who had to stay outside of the town in the lonely places. And it was he who couldn't enter a town openly anymore. But because of his cleansing, now Jesus is the exile. Now Jesus is the outcast, the one who has to stay in the lonely places. Jesus takes the burden of that leper upon himself when he heals him. And that's what happened to him with our sin on the cross. He took our burden. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He took our sin upon his shoulders on the cross. This story illustrates the cleansing touch of Jesus. By touching others to cleanse him, Jesus shows us his compassion. Jesus gave this man far more than physical healing. He showed him compassion, concern. He showed him love. He gave this man the ability to reenter society, to move back into his house with his family, to support himself in the marketplace, to worship in the synagogue, to give him his life back. Jesus gave his life back with just one cleansing touch. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, please. So who are the modern-day lepers who need the cleansing touch of Jesus through us as a church? Who are these people who need compassion and love shown to them, not to just stay in our Christian bubble and stay what we, we know good Christians should not, you know, associate with these people? Who are these people who need the touch of Jesus more than anyone Right? Who, are they the former prostitutes who our culture looks at as spoiled goods? Right? Are they the people with a criminal record, people with a past? Who are the outcasts and the ostracized, the neglected and the marginalized? Think about it in your own life. Who are these people in your community, your neighbors, your friends? Risen King Church is a part of the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. That means that Jesus' cleansing touch of compassion comes through us through our touch, through our love, through our care. I'm going to read that one more time. we got to get excited about this. That means that Jesus' cleansing touch of compassion comes through us, me and you, this church, through our touch, through our love, through our caring. The cleansing touch of Jesus shows his compassion still today through us. So these three touches of Jesus, which touch do you need most in your life today? Which touch does the person next to you need? Could it be that the way that we both give and receive the touch of Jesus is through our life together?